Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Having a Grand Time. For seniors who are adjusting to retirement and aging, May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Let's open with a word of prayer, please. Let's pray. Blessed God and Father, we open our hearts to you today, because we know your heart is open toward us today. And we just want to stop and tell you that you are sweeter than candy and more precious than gold. Open your word to us today. Open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I think there's some people, there might be somebody that hasn't been here any of the other times, and we're going through a series called Having a Grand Time, and we've had a pretty good time, haven't we? And today we're going to talk about the power of the keys. Now, I bet you thought you had me figured out and you knew what I was going to bring to show you today, so I had to think of something else. If you ever do things that people are expecting, they go to sleep because they think they've got you figured out. So I didn't just bring keys. Of course, I got keys. You think, well, keys, that's a pretty obvious uh, illustration. But most people really don't want keys. Let me show you what they want. I got it right here in my pocket. Most people want a magic wand. They want something that you can just wave over the problems, and everything's easy and fine, clear sailing, bright, sunny skies, birds singing. And a lot of times, the Lord leads us through the way of the cross. And it's not so easy, and the sun isn't shining. It might be a storm. And it's only human to wish that uh, we were somewhere else. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Well, there's no place like heaven. There's no place like heaven. And no keys I could give you this morning, no matter how true, would take away the real reality of the difficulties that sometimes we have to go through. But nevertheless, the keys that we have in the scripture can make a huge difference in how we go through those storms. Might not stop the storm, but it can stop the crisis in your heart where in, on the inside you begin to crumble down and feel like you're being reduced to dust. So we want to open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 12. Now Paul had been in prison probably for at least a year here in the book of Philippians. And Paul had all the keys we're going to talk about, and yet he was still in prison. Just what I was saying. He didn't have a magic wand, but he did have the keys. Let's look at what he says. He says something about to me that, that summarizes what we want to look at today. Philippians 4.12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, he wasn't the kind of person to say that was a, a martyr and say, oh, no, no, all, only the worst for me. I'm a sinner, and I never have anything nice, never a nice meal. If anybody tries to give me a nice coat or something, I would reject it because I had taken a vow of poverty. He says, no, I, I know how to live with abundance. And he says, but I also have learned how to live with uh, humble means. And then he says this, I have learned the secret. 
Now, he says, I have learned this thing. That means he didn't always know it. There was a time when he didn't know this secret. And then through his growing in the Lord, bit by bit, and going through some very difficult circumstances, he learned something. And he says it's a secret. But if you can learn this secret, it makes a difference on everything. He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Of course, this is in the context that what's the very next verse after this? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I can go through heaven, I can go through hell, I can go through anything that's like purgatory. I can be on the mountain, I can be in the valley, I can be down in the depths of the ocean or up, up where the stars are. I can do all things. I can go through any, cross any river that God wants me to cross. I can climb any mountain he wants me to climb. That's an amazing truth. And he said, I didn't always know this. It's a secret I have learned. Well, I want to give you, in the time we have, which isn't tons, but we'll make the best with what we can. This is more like a table of contents, actually, for about 10 hours of uh, sharing. So we're just going to kind of do the best we can and go through this. I have seven keys I want to talk to you about today, and I'm going to try and take them in the order of importance. If we had two or three hours, I'd get you to look up all the verses. But uh, for the matter of time, on some of them, I'm just going to share the verse, and if you have something you want to just jot down the reference, and you can look it up later. Okay? The very first key for having a grand time, and what we're, we're, all this in the context of what we're talking about here, is the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation. Now, I know that some of you, that's not an issue, hasn't been an issue for 50 years. Bear with me. We just need to make sure we get everybody on board. And it could be that it's not necessary for anybody in this room, but somebody will listen to the tape. So we want to cover it anyway, okay? Assurance of salvation. 1 John 5:13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might... Anybody finish that? Know that you have eternal life. In order that you might know that you have eternal life, I ask you today, do you know that you have eternal life? I have a friend who, I won't do it today, but he always likes to say, everybody close your eyes and bow your heads, and I want you to raise your hand if you are 100% sure that if you were to die tonight and meet Jesus, you would go to heaven. If you're 100% sure. Do you have the assurance of your salvation? I want to tell you about Hilda and Ernesto, a couple of, in their 70s, I suppose, who we bought our home from in Argentina, Catholic couple. And when we first went and visited them to look at the house, she mentioned that she was sick, uh, had been sick, and I offered to pray for her. And so we sort, sort of continued a, a bit of a contact with them. And I hadn't seen them for about a year, and I went to visit them. And on the way, I had a really good prayer that God would just do something. And, uh, and give me boldness, since I'm such a coward a lot of times in, in uh, initiating things with people. Because I don't like people to pe make people feel uncomfortable, unnecessarily. Uh, and I got there, and we were talking, and, and I found out that she'd almost died during that previous year. She'd been so sick and been in the hospital, but she'd come through it. And, and I was trying to be bold, you know. And so I said, well, um, Hilda, may I ask you a personal question? She said, she said yes. I said, Hilda, just supposing you hadn't come through it and you had gone to meet God, are you sure that you would have gone to heaven? And she said, oh, yes. 
And I said, well, let me ask you another question. Her husband's sitting there. And I said, well, if God were to ask you, either why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? And she, she said, well, I, I've worked for years in public education and given my life to the education and training of children. And, I, you know, I've, she gave me this long list of things that she had done, the reasons why God would let her into heaven. And at that point, I had to be either brave fish or cut bait, you know. I could either just let that go, but I think because I prayed beforehand, God gave me a little extra boldness. And, and I said, Ilda, isn't that interesting? Do you know that the Bible teaches that the person that answers the question that way, it's for sure they're not going to heaven? You could have heard a pin drop. We all felt uncomfortable at that point. <laughs> and then I quickly added, but would you like me to show you what the Bible says, how you can know that you're going to heaven? And she said, yeah. And uh, Ida was sitting right there, and Ernesto was there, and we, we opened up the scripture, and I drew out the little illustration of how Jesus Christ is the only bridge between God and man, and our faith needs to be placed only in him. And they both prayed right there to receive Christ with me. Now, let me tell you one other story about B and Celia. B. Williams, uh, who's now passed away, he was in his 90s. This was uh, three or four years ago. He used to babysit my mother. So, I mean, he was a, talking about an old friend of the family. And I visited them, and uh, we had such a nice time with the family that I went back. I just sensed there was a, it was a special, a special openness there that I had never seen before. And I just wanted to make sure, you know, to be there for them. And so I, I went back, and we talked a little bit, and I asked them the same question. Uh, have you come to the place in your spiritual life, if you were to die tonight, you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And he said, well, no, I, that he'd never been sure of that. And she said, I'm not even sure if there really is a heaven. And so again, I offered to open the scriptures with them. And uh, we had a wonderful time there holding hands, them asking Jesus Christ to come into their life. Not because necessarily they might have never done it before. I mean, sometimes you're kind of in the middle. It's not as though you haven't done anything. You're here, you know, and you probably have a Bible. And uh, there are a lot of things that, you, that are already in place. But is that assurance there that he is yours and you are his? And we can't get into it all now, but if you ever want to talk to somebody about that, uh, the, the ministers at this church, I'd be, I'd be delighted to visit you. I don't have all the answers, but the Bible does when it comes to assurance of salvation. He died so that you could have everlasting life, and he wants you to know it. That is a bedrock foundation of everything else that we could talk about. Because until that assurance issue is settled, that's where you are. That's what you're dealing with every day. Is this enough? How about this? Yeah, but there's this. Well, if I do this, that'll overcome this. I used to think that salvation was sort of like a beam balance. You know those things that used in old-timey chemistry class before they invented these electronic things. And you put it's a weight on this side and you put stuff on this side until they went like this and you could figure out which one was heavier and I thought God would take my good and my bad and put it in a beam balance and if my good was heavier than my bad I'd go to heaven that's not what the Bible teaches if I have even one gram of sin over on the sin side it doesn't matter if I have ten tons of goodness on the other side I wish it was true I don't <laughs> not even near that but just supposing I was it would still not be enough. Jesus Christ himself said, therefore, you must be perfect 
for your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's why we need a Savior. Assurance of salvation. Second key, surrender. The issue of lordship. Surrender. What is lordship? Luke 6, 46. Luke 6, verse 46. says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Dr. Troutman, pray today. Lord, help us to be not just hearers, but doers of the word, to put this in practice. And Jesus Christ says the same thing. Whenever we pray, we say, oh, Lord. And, and would he say, well, why do you keep calling me that name, which means boss, king, master, the one in charge, and then you go out and don't do anything I told you to do. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then he goes on to say, many will call, say, come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but we did wonderful things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't belong to me because you were never surrendered to my will. You know, a lot of people don't want God. They want a genie in a bottle. They want him to come when they rub the lamp. They want as many wishes as they want, and they don't want any trouble from him. They want him to behave himself. You can put him in your pocket, and you pull him out whenever you need him, like my little pocket knife, you know? I don't have a relationship with my pocket knife. I never ask my pocket knife, oh, pocket knife, what would you like me to do today? I just have it in here, and if I need to clip my nails or, or uh, if I need the tweezers, I've got, I mean, this is my favorite things in my pocket. It's my pocket knife, which I can't take on the airplane anymore. But uh, a lot of people want a God that's like that. And when the thing doesn't work, you just want to throw it away and get something else. And sometimes we get kind of mad with God. Well, well, I thought, God, when I did this, that you're supposed to cut things for me, and I, I pulled you out, and I, I tried to do it, and you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And I'm mad with you. That's not the Christian life, and that's not surrender. That's where I'm still insisting on being my own God. And he says, if you really want to know me, you must surrender. Is he really the Lord of your life? This really comes into play in this point of time in our lives that we're talking about. Because we have a lot of things we want, and our ability to, to get things that we want, our strength uh, and our uh, circumstances means it's harder and harder to get things done. And so we spend a lot more time looking than doing. Uh, something dropped on the floor, we might think about it a while before we try to figure out how we're going to get it back up off the floor, or if it's me on the floor. And, you know, it, things are just harder and more challenging. And so we have a whole lot more wants to express to God. But the most important thing about our lives is what does God want in our lives? And if you haven't settled this issue of surrender, then you're going to be fighting with him instead of enjoying him, instead of getting to know him, instead of walking with him. Let me ask you a question. Have you given him permission to do anything with you and your life that he wants? Have you given him that permission? You say, well, but he doesn't need that permission. That's true. But if you're going to cooperate with, like you, with your little, when you had a, maybe a little child or somebody you were taking care of that was small, uh, you didn't need uh, their permission to put them in the car. They could say no, and you could put them in the car anyway. But it was a much happier occasion if they say, well, can I put you in the car now? And they say, yes, that would be great. Instead of fighting and kicking and biting. So no, God doesn't require our 
permission, but everything goes better when we are cooperating with him and uh, not questioning everything. Many people have a conditional relationship with God. I will follow you and love you, but I, I'm not asking much of you, God, but I want this. And if I don't get this, I'm going to be upset with you. That's a conditional relationship with God. God wants us to come to the point of victory where we say, Lord, anything. Anything. I don't ask for a long life, a short life. I don't ask for a particular type of the way my life will end. I am prepared to do your will. I have come, as it says about Jesus in, in the book of Hebrews, I have come, as it, as it is written in the book of the law, to do thy will. I delight to do thy will. Thy law is within my heart. That is a tremendous victory. And many people never get to that point. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Never the, he had a preference. It's okay to have preference. You're not supposed to just go blank. You know, like, I don't want anything. I'm just here. No. He wants you to have preferences. That's fine. Make your needs known to the Lord. We'll get to that in another point. But it's okay to have preferences. But the bedrock underneath all the preferences is, nevertheless, if it's not possible, let not my will but thine be done. Third key, we've talked about assurance of salvation and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. The third one, and these are all sort of obvious, I know that, but don't we all need to go back over the things we already know and see if we can do a little bit better about putting it into practice? The third one, this is so key. You need, and I need, to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. It's not by osmosis. It's not just by coming and showing up at church or at meetings. That's all part of it. But seeking the Lord is an active thing that flows out of my heart, looking for God. Where are you, Lord? It's the confidence that he's really there, that he's real, and that he loves me. If maybe another time we can talk about one of my favorite passages in Exodus 33 where 80-something-year-old or 90-year-old Moses tells us about his seeking the Lord personally. This wasn't just the corporate thing with the whole nation. He opens up a hidden part of his life. We get to walk in and see and hear what was his relationship like with God. He, would have, he had a tent that he would take, and it was his own tent. It was before they built the tabernacle. And it said he would take his tent, and he'd take it outside the camp, and he, a long distance away from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting because he would go to encounter God there. And when I say seek the Lord, I'm not just talking about Bible reading and prayer, although that's mostly what you do when you're seeking the Lord. But that's not the point. It's not just the point of just, well, I'm supposed to read the Bible, so I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm supposed to pray, so we're going to pray. No, that reduces it down to the mechanics. That would be like reducing marriage to say, well, it's our anniversary, and I'm supposed to buy you flowers, so here are your flowers. I mean... Oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> You're missing the point. The flowers is an expression. It's not the substance. Do you have a heart burning to know God, to seek his faith, to know him better? What's it like to get to know God? He is the most fascinating person in the universe. Trying to get to know God is like sitting beside the ocean 
the Atlantic Ocean with a bucket and a teaspoon and trying to empty the ocean. And you fill up one bucket after another. And after you've been there for 50 years, buckets and buckets every day, you lift up your eyes and you look out and all the ocean seems like it's still there. You've barely scratched the surface. We've gotten so quickly exhausted with so little. Oh yeah, we already know him. Do you know the Lord? Oh sure, I've known him for years. Well, who is he? You, get, you talk to somebody who says they know God, and say, well, take, an, take the next hour, tell me about it. They'll be done in two minutes. Because they stopped with so little. It's time to seek the Lord. And in this period of our lives, when, when uh, the younger people in our lives, our children, grandchildren, they're far away or very busy, and the uh, things we used to be able to do that were more active, like the tennis or basketball or whatever, we just have to watch now and remember God is opening up big spaces in our lives that we need to fill with good things or weeds will grow. The kudzu, spiritual kudzu, will take over. And we need to plant the good things. And seeking the Lord is one of the good things. Well, let's move on. Point number four. We talked about assurance of salvation, surrender, lordship, and seeking the Lord. And fourth, I put as a separate point, prayer. Now, prayer, of course, overlaps with seeking the Lord. But prayer becomes one of the things that we can most powerfully do in this period of our lives. Maybe this is not a period where we can go on a missions trip to Kenya or something. Just the, the flight, the food, the diet, the, you know, the distance from my doctor, whatever. It's just not something that's, uh, that's reasonable. But you never outgrow prayer. John 15, 7. It's one of my favorite verses on prayer. And let's look at that. I want you to look at that in your Bible because uh, this is such an important verse. John 15, 7. And maybe sometime we can talk about it even a little bit more. This is in the midst of, the, of course, the chapter on the vine and the branches and abiding in him. In John 15, in the upper room discourse, the night before... He was crucified. And he gives two conditions, and then he makes a command. So listen together as we go over the verse. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Do you believe that? Do you ever have this thing with some Bible verses that, you would never tell anybody you didn't believe it. But every time you read it, you think, man, you know, like the thing with the moving the mountains or whatever. You just don't talk about it because you, you wouldn't want to say anything that you wouldn't want to lie. But on the other hand, uh, it's, it, he makes such astounding statements sometimes. But more and more, I'm growing to the point where I believe this verse is true. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, he's not saying something totally so unreachable that he knows it'll never happen like these things where if you buy this particular brand of Coke, there's some sweepstakes going on and you could win $2 million. Well, you know you're probably not going to win $2 million when you buy that Coke, you know. You, you wonder if there's anybody that is going to, if, or if this is just another uh, advertising hoax. Or if somebody said, well, if you had this amount of money, uh, you could buy the whole nation of England. Well, right, of course. Uh, but that's so unattainable. I've never had that much money. And who, who, buy a whole nation. 
Jesus, when he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he's not saying if you can be absolutely perfect and weigh 4,000 pounds and have $20 billion, then you could ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. He's saying two simple things that are within our reach. If you abide in me, just by simple faith, trusting in me, you've surrendered your life to me and you're ready to do my will. He says, that's not hard. You just lay down your weapons and surrender. You abide in me. And my words abide in you. you. Well, you're just continuing to feed on the scriptures each day. Relatively small condition and a relatively big promise. It's, it's not even, doesn't even start off as a promise. It starts off as a command. He says, ask. He doesn't say, well, I'll, I'll let you ask or you can ask if you really insist. He says, ask. And when he gives a, a commandment, not to do that commandment is sin. So he's told you and me, if we're fulfilling that condition, he says, I am commanding you to ask. Ask what? Because uh, I thought I'm supposed to be surrendered to your will. Ask whatever you wish. Whatever I wish? Yeah, whatever you wish. You think, well, who am I? You are the Lord. I thought I was just supposed to say, thy will be done. He says, your starting point in your prayers are the things that are already growing in your heart because you're walking with me. How many of you have ever taken a little child to the ice cream store? Anybody? Anybody? Do they still do that kind of thing? Okay. You got little John there. He's so cute, you know. He's about four or five. And he's so happy to be with you. His little hand and your big hand, and you've got all this money. You could buy the whole store, and you'd kind of like to for him. You walk into that store, and there are all of these flavors and the colors and... And you just know, you just, you, you, you know, you, you're sort of tired of ice cream, but you're so excited because he's so excited. And you get in there and say, John, they have 31 flavors here. Which flavor do you want? In fact, you can get a cone with three flavors, and his eyes are so big. And, and you say, John, what flavors would you want? And he says, oh, no, you are the great wise one, and I am surrendered to your will. Let not my will be done, but thine. They say, John, where did you learn that? Quit being silly. What flavors do you want? Why do we think God is so different? Now, sometimes we'll ask for things, and he needs to improve on that request because he knows the end from the beginning, and he loves us too much sometimes to give us the things that we asked for that we don't know all the outcomes in our own life and in the universe. But the starting point of your prayer are these things, abiding in him, his word abiding in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. I wish we had more time to talk about this. I'm going to close with just one quote that's my favorite quote on prayer by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says, when we say that God answers prayer, we do not mean by that that God literally always gives us exactly what we ask for. But we do mean this, that whenever he withholds from us what we have asked from him in silver, it is only so that he might bestow it upon us in gold. Sow that seed in your heart. God wants to use you in prayer like never before. And I would like to believe God with you that the next 12 months in your life will be your most victorious 12 months in your prayer life. Would you like to believe God with me for that?
Fifth key. We've talked about this before, but again, repetition is a key principle since we need to hear things again and again. But the fifth key is focus on today. It's very difficult to focus on today, but this is a key to focus on today. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow may never come. I remember I've got this, uh, this big book that Wendy bought for somebody else, but I'm going through it. It's a bathroom reader, I'm embarrassed to say. And, um, but it's got all kind of great tidbits in it. And one of them is, there was this guy on the Dick Cavett show back in 1971. Who, he was 72 years old. He was an author of several books on health and fitness and long life. And uh, he was being interviewed on the Dick Cavett show, and he predicted that he would live to the age of 100. Later on in that same show, Dick Cavett looked over at him, and it looked like he'd gone to sleep. He died. <laughs> Focus on today. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm going to live to 100. <laughs> Maybe. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let me ask you, who has God placed in your life today that you can love? Who is your neighbor? We focus too much on the things we cannot do and the people we cannot be with because of circumstances. And we don't focus enough on, but what has God placed in my path today? To be less focused on myself my problems, my pains, my preferences, and more focused on the divine encounters that God gives me today, even when they're very small things that I can do. Jesus said, a cup of cold water that you give to a little one in my name honors God. All of heaven is watching. Who has despised a day of small things, it says in Zechariah. God is a God of small things. Who else counts hairs on heads? and knows each sparrow that falls, and he knows every act of kindness, every act of forgiveness, every single day he is watching. He's right here. He's that close. Sixth, do what you can. Do what you can. Someone once said, it's not what you do with the million if the million dollars were your lot. It's what you're doing at present with the dollar and quarter you've got. And you may be doing okay financially. You may, that may be an issue for you. There are sometimes financial limitations. But surely there are growing physical limitations. And it's easy to think back to other times when you could go faster and do more and go further and you're just not there now. And you're thinking, well, and it's also not getting any better. I mean, we're not even staying the same. Every day, it seems like I'm just a little bit slower and uh, that's okay. Do what you can with what you have. That's what I really like about the story about the widow's mite. Because what he's saying there is it has nothing to do with the quantity. 
Because today you can do more things than a bunch of other people can do, and others can do much more than you can do. He says that has nothing to do with it. He says, what do you have? And what can you do with what you have? That's how you honor me. And you say, but I just have this tiny little contribution that I can do. I can only give this cup of cold water to somebody. Maybe someday, I, like I told you, one of my ambitions is when I'm lying there with tubes in me in the hospital, uh, and that little nurse or that doctor comes in, that God gives me the victory to take my eyes off myself, look at their face, read their face, read the care and the worry, the pain, whatever might, they might be going through, even though they have perfect health, they walk in with the burden. And to lift up my eyes and look at them and say, something's bothering me. Would you like to talk about it? Would you like me to pray for you? God can make you able to move mountains when you can't even move your hands. But we must value the things that we can do instead of thinking so much about the things we can no longer do. It's not what you do with the million if the million were your lot. It's what you're doing at present with the dollar and quarter you've got. And the seventh and last, he, we've talked about assurance of salvation, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, seeking the Lord, praying, focusing on today, doing what you can. And the final one is gratitude. Gratitude. Colossians 2.7 is a wonderful verse on discipleship, being rooted and grounded and built up in him. And the verse ends with the phrase, overflowing with gratitude. Now, Paul, again, this is one of the prison epistles in Colossians, overflowing with gratitude. My friend in Argentina whose mother was run over by the bus, I told you about that story another day, but one time she was at the beach with a friend. I imagine she was in her 70s, just to kind of locate the thing, and her friend, who was maybe in her 50s, had gone out and bought her some cheap earrings, like $3 earrings, you know? And she, just, just as a little present, like you buy somebody some flowers or something, but for, frankly, a $3 flower probably looks better than a $3 earring, but anyway. And she gave her this. Oh, it wasn't much, but, uh, and Rena, who has walked with the Lord for 50 years, just the simplest sort of a soul, just a wonderful lady, she, she took those earrings and she says, and she lifted them up. And she says, oh, Lord, thank you that someone would think of me. These are wonderful earrings. Thank you so much. Gratitude is a spirit. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a river that needs to be flowing through our lives. It has nothing to do with how well your circumstances are going. Eve, our great-great-great-great-grandmother, lived in a perfect world, had a perfect husband, had a perfect environment a perfect diet. Ladies, she had a perfect body. Why did she sin? She was discontent. Discontentment needs nothing to feed on. It can grow anywhere. The gratitude also can grow anywhere. Why is our gratitude muscle so weak? We focus too much on what's not there instead of all that's there. Have you ever been to a birthday party of a small child and there's cake and 
family and cookies and presents, and the child at one point is weeping. Maybe that doesn't happen in America. It happens all the time in Argentina. I, you know, he took my thing, or I wanted this, or something. You know, why are you crying? It's your birthday party. You've got, I mean, a birthday party is arranged to be the, mo the pinnacle, the peak, the, the, the mountaintop experience of the flesh, you know, of this little child, his stomach, his eyes, his, his possessions, family, friends, everything, and he's crying. So often we're like that little child. We're sitting on top of a mountain of God's gift. The things he has done for us and given us. The millions of accidents, car accidents he saved us from. The millions of germs that we didn't get sick with. All the bones and muscles and things that did work for an awful long time, even though it maybe doesn't all work so great now. But it worked for so long. Every penny he ever gave me, every bite of food, every breath of air, every ray of sunshine. We are sitting on top of the Rocky Mountains of all the gifts that God has given us. And we're holding up this one little thing to God. Why didn't you give me this? He said, open your eyes. Look at the mountains you're sitting on. Think about it. Rejoice in it. And then with that little thing, trust me, boy, it's okay. If you'd have really needed it to do my will, I'd give it to you too. He says, I don't withhold things from you to make you miserable. I love you. But we have to exercise that muscle of gratitude. You know the term Eucharist? That's the term for the Lord's Supper in the Catholic Church. It comes from the Greek verb, I give thanks. Eucharisteo. I'm giving thanks for the grace of God. Gratitude is something active, not passive. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Someone said one time, gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude. And you know that. You've given somebody a present, and, and they didn't say a blooming thing, and they didn't write you or nothing. And you said, well, finally, you just can't keep it in anymore. And said, well, did you, did you get it? Did you like it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well but you don't seem very grateful. Oh, I'm grateful. Now, if you want other people to thank you, do you want them to thank you because that way they earn the gift? No. It just kind of closes the operation. You know, we've, we've finished. We, we've connected. That's why God wants you to give thanks. It's that something's missing. It's like you get to the end of the song and don't play that last note. Have you ever thanked God for the parts of your body, for each person in your life, for each day, for each breath, for everybody has their own way of doing it. But you can walk down the street and just look around you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you. Be specific. You want your somebody that you've given gifts to all these years to wait till the end of it all and say, well, thank you for everything. It was great. No. Each thing, because each thing took a thought. Why can't each thing require an expression? Thank you, God, for my seat. Thank you that the tape player, I think it's working today. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the friendship class and these wonderful weeks we've had together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like a cool stream that washes over your soul and washes a lot of bad stuff away. But you've got to work on it. It doesn't just happen. 
We need to open our eyes and open our mouth in gratitude. The problem is the problems shout louder than blessings. The problems easily get our attention. Well, we're going to conclude reminding ourselves that Paul had all the keys, but he was still in jail. And yet in his spirit, he was completely free, filled with joy, enjoying the presence of the Lord, and confident of his salvation, and honored to be a prisoner of the Lord. Because he had the keys. And I want to close with a great, another great poem. This is a poem entitled, All Must Be Well. Through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Free and changeless is his favor. All, all is well. Precious is the blood that healed us. Perfect is the grace that sealed us. Strong the hand stretched out to shield us. All must be well. Though we pass through tribulation, all will be well. Ours is such a full salvation. All, all is well. Happy still in God confiding. Fruitful if in Christ abiding. Holy through the Spirit's guiding. All must be well. In the last answer, we expect a bright tomorrow. All will be well. Faith can sing through days of sorrow. All, all is well. On our Father's love relying. Jesus every need supplying. Or in living or in dying. All must be well. Praise his name. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, wonderful Lord, you are your greatest gift. Whom have we in heaven but you? And besides you, we desire nothing on earth. Our flesh and our heart may fail, but God is our strength and our portion forever. We declare the victory of Jesus Christ over our lives in this period of our lives. Lord, we are looking for your victory to be expressed in wonderful, perhaps quiet ways in ways that maybe many others cannot see. But we want to see it in a wonderful reality in our own heart and where we live. Stir us up, Lord. Stir us up to do the things we can do, to be filled with gratitude, to be assured of our salvation, to recognize every day Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm his penny. He can spend me any way he wants. And to seek your face and to see your glory. We thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.